Okay, I told you to turn to Exodus 31.11, but I'll tell you what, let's back up a little. Let's back up a little, and, and in our Bibles, let's look at Exodus 24.12. Exodus 24.12. Let me begin by reading this passage to you. Exodus 24.12, and it says this. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. Now, skip over to the last verse of our text this morning, which is Exodus 31.18. Exodus 31.18. And it says this, And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So what we have here this morning is the conclusion of this large section of scripture that began with Exodus 24.12 and God calling Moses up to the mountain and telling him, I'm going to give you two tablets with the law and the commandments. And now in Exodus 31.18, he says, I'm done talking. Here are the two tablets. Boom. Wonder how much they weighed. But he gets the two tablets. And so we've concluded this section. And it's fitting that we review a bit what was said in this section. And so that's what this message this morning is. It's a bit of a review of what we've been preaching the last couple of weeks. The rules of the covenant. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. What a privilege I do not deserve. Thank you. And may my friends who are listening understand what a privilege it is for them to hear this word. And may it really mean something to them and help them to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. Dancing the night away with a higher purpose. In their floor-length gowns, updos, and tiaras, the 70 or so young women swept past two harpists and into the ornate dining room at the lavish Broadmoor Hotel on the arms of their much older male companions. The girls, ages early grade school to college, had come with their fathers, stepfathers, and future father-in-laws last Friday night to the ninth annual Father-Daughter Purity Ball. The first two hours of the gala passed like any somewhat awkward night with parents, the men doing nearly all the talking, and the girls struggling to cut their chicken. But after dessert, the 63 men stood and read aloud a covenant, quote, before God to cover my daughter as her authority and protection in the area of purity, unquote. The gesture signaled that the fathers would guard their daughters from what evangelicals consider a profoundly corrosive, quote, hookup culture, unquote. The evening which altered between homemade Christian rituals and giddy dancing was a joyous public affirmation of the girls' sexual abstinence until they wed. Yet, the graying men in the shadows of their glittering daughters were the true focus of the night. 
to ensure their daughter's purity, they were asked to set an example and to abide by evangelical ideals in a society they say tempts them as much as it does their daughters. Quote, it's also good for me, unquote, said Terry Lee, 54, who attended the ball for a second year, this time with his youngest daughter, Rachel, 16. Quote, it inspires me to be spiritual and moral in turn. If I'm holding them to such high standards, you can be sure I won't be cheating on their mother, unquote. Fathers, our daughters are waiting for us, Mr. Wilson, age 49, told the men. They are desperately waiting for us in a culture that lures them into the murky waters of exploitation. Wilson said, it is a call to covenant, which basically says, I, as my daughter's father, will be a man of integrity and purity. And likewise, our heavenly father is calling us as his sons and daughters to purity this morning. We are called to a higher purpose, folks. In our text today, God saves us, God sanctifies us, and God sets us apart to serve his purposes. You see, the rules of the covenant are exactly that. The rules of the covenant that God gave to Moses, those Ten Commandments on those tablets, simply say this, I will save you, I will sanctify you, and I will set you apart for my purpose. Now go and be my holy people, set aside for my purpose. Those are the rules. They're that simple. Jesus simplified them even further. Jesus simply said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in that, all the law, all the prophets are summarized. So you are saved from self-love so that you might love God and others. You are sanctified from the impurity of your sins so that you might love God and love others. That's the rules of the covenant, my friends. It's that uncomplicated. If you do that, you will obey the law. Let's take a look here at the structure of our passage. Between Exodus 30, verse 11, and Exodus 31, verse 18, six times you see the phrase, the Lord said. Six times you see the phrase, the Lord said. So, let's take a look at these six times that we have the Lord's instruction to us that saves us, sanctifies us, and sets us apart. Number one, God saves us. If you look at verse 11 of Exodus 30, it begins with, the Lord said to Moses. Mark it down. Number one, first time it's used in these 45 verses, the Lord said. What did he say? He said this, when you take the census of the people of Israel then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. You shall take the atonement money, verse 16, jump down to verse 16. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for their lives. What's going on here? Well, let's dip into a commentary to help us understand, shall we? 
The Bible Knowledge Commentary says the following about this passage here we just read. Whenever a census was taken, each Israelite, 20 years old or more, was to pay a tax to help maintain the tabernacle and services. This tax was considered a ransom, Exodus 30.12, because its payment guaranteed protection from plagues. This helped motivate each male to pay. (laughs) Right? Okay. It was also considered an atonement, a covering for sins. This practice became the basis of the latter temple tax that became an annual tax in the time of Christ. So what do we have here? We have here in these first verses the picture of salvation. Here we have the picture of Christ ransoming us from the bondage of sin and atoning for our sins before a holy God. In the wilderness, God atoned for people's sins at the mercy seat, which was on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which was inside the Holy of Holies, which was separated from the holy place by a curtain. The blood was sprinkled on that mercy seat and the people's sins were forgiven. Today, today, God atones for your sin and my sin in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ went not into a copy of the Ark of the Covenant and a copy of the Holy of Holies on earth to sprinkle the blood of lambs and bulls on that mercy seat No, no. Jesus went into the heavenly original version and used his own blood to cover the mercy seat so that your sins would be forgiven. God saved you in Jesus. He fulfills the rules of the covenant because God knew to meet with his people. He had to make provision for their sin because they'd blow it. And God knows to meet with us. He must make provision for our sins because we blow it. But our sins do not define us. Our Savior does. Our Savior does. Point two. God sanctifies us. We see in chapter 30, verse 17, once again, this phrase, and God said. And God said. The Lord said to Moses, chapter 30, verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, second usage now of this phrase, the Lord said to Moses, verse 18, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put a water in it with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. May not die. God sanctifies us. What does that mean? Well, Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, defines sanctification as follows. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin 
and like Christ in our actual lives. Let me read that again. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man. So it's, there's a synergy here that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. The term sanctification or to sanctify means to make us more and more like Christ and that is what the bronze wash basin represents in the temple or in the tabernacle in the wilderness. And again, dipping into a commentary, the same Bible knowledge commentary, for us to get this in our minds, it says the following. The basin, the last piece of tabernacle furniture, is described here because of the emphasis on its use rather than on its construction. It was to be of bronze, not silver or gold, because it belonged in the sanctuary courtyard between the bronze altar of burnt offering and the entrance to the tent. When officiating in the tent or before the altar, the priests were required to wash their hands and feet. If they failed to do so, they would die. This, too, was to be a lasting ordinance. The laver symbolized the need for purity through cleansing from defilement. Thus, while there was ritual cleansing at the altar, the priest also needed cleansing from actual defilement. The altar speaks of salvation through sin offering. The basin speaks of sanctification, which is progressive and continual. We are being changed continually in the image of Christ. Why? Because we are to serve God's purposes and not our own purposes. We are to serve God's purposes and not our own purposes. And here's the main point of this message. Yes, God saves us, symbolized by the tax and the ransoming and the atonement. Yes, God sanctifies us. It's an ongoing work. Amen to that, right? Ongoing. Every day, I'm a work in progress. Yes, I am. So are you. That's symbolized by the basin by which we wash. But now, here, we are going to be set apart for God's purposes. Point three, set apart for the purposes of God. We are anointed and set apart by the holy oil and incense. The holy oil and incense. So let's go over to now chapter 30, verse 22. Third time we see this phrase, the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses. And what did the Lord say to Moses? He said the following, verse 23 of Exodus 30. Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much that is, 250 and 250 of aromatic cane and 500 of cassia, and according to the shekel of the sanctuary and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred, look at this, a sacred, other versions say holy, set apart, Reserved for God. You can read all that in there. A sacred anointing oil. Blended is by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand. Verse 29. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron, verse 30, and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And they shall say 
to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. Folks, we are separated by this holy anointing oil. God here instructs Moses to make the oil, and it's only to be used to set apart his servants, his priests. We learned last week that that's us today in the New Testament. This oil often symbolizes the Holy Spirit. He poured in the oil and the wine, and he restored my soul. The Holy Spirit is often symbolized as the oil coming over us so that God sanctifies us. He now sets us apart. He makes us holy for his use. Let's look at the incense. Look at verse 34. This is now the fourth occurrence, I believe, if I've not lost track, of the, of the phrase, the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 30, 34, the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, and I can't pronounce them, and blend them together, verse 35, and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy, pure and holy, pure and holy. This incense is to be that which God uses to set apart his people for his purposes. And what does incense represent? The prayers of the saints. Oil represents the Holy Spirit coming upon us, setting us apart for his purposes. Prayer represents our now working with God in this process to be his representatives to represent man to God in our prayers and to represent God to, to man in our speech, in our lives, in our, with our lips. My friends, we are skilled and we are filled to build God's house. We are skilled and we are filled to build God's house. Look at chapter 31, verse 1. Fifth occurrence, I believe. Of this phrase, the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, see, verse 2, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Holeab, the son of, can't pronounce his name, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent. God has given gifts so that we might be skilled and filled to build his church. This is the meaning of this passage. Back then, the men needed to build what God had commanded Moses to to build so that he could meet with his people, the tabernacle. They were to make the garments for the priests who were set aside for the holy task of representing God to man, a man to God. But today, God meets with people in Christ. God meets with people through the church preaching Christ crucified and raised from the dead. And no longer is he calling men to build physical arcs of the covenant, but he's calling men and women to build spiritual churches. 
We are skilled and we are filled just like they were. Bezalel was skilled and filled here. We're skilled and filled now. Right now. A great example of this, my friends, looks like, well, what was provided yesterday. Ladies, you experienced an incredible event. I believe we had over 60 ladies partake in a time of fellowship, food, teaching, and application of the message. And in order to steward the grace of God in this event, many ladies stepped forward, like Bezalel was called here to build this ark. These ladies stepped forward to build a spiritual house for the Lord. And they used their giftings to serve mightily. If I get this correctly, and if I leave you out, please forgive me, but if I understand it correctly, Maite Quiroz was there signing people up. She was serving and set up. Valerie Vigue was there ordering the food so you ladies could eat and not have to worry about it. Wonderful meal. Lloyda Cook was setting up the entrance and setting up all the different displays. Becky Gonzalez was making sure that the tables were looking just right, serving on the worship team. My own daughter was helping with the worship. I know Carmen was there. There was a bunch of them young men there. I saw Javi there uh, helping his mom, Maite, and helping his dad, Nestor. Nestor was there. Many of the men were there. So what do we have a picture of? We have a picture of modern-day Bezaleels who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God and then skilled to lead, skilled to serve, skilled to teach, skilled to bless. Ladies, were you blessed yesterday? Was the house of the Lord built yesterday? Thank God. Thank God. He wants to use all of you that way. He wants to use all of us that way. Point four, God now seals the rules of the covenant. God takes all of this that he has done, saving us, sanctifying us, setting us apart for his holy purposes, and he seals it through the rules of the covenant. Let's look at 31 verse 12. 31 verse 12, I think this is the final now time. The Lord uses this phrase, and the Lord said to Moses, and the Lord said to Moses, what did he say to Moses? Verse 13, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between you and me, or me and you, throughout your generations, that you may know, look at look what they're to know, that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. There's that word holy again, set apart. For God's purposes. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. There is that putting to death again. God's serious about this. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days you shall work, or six days shall work be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on a Sabbath, there it is again, shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. What marks us as God's people is that we keep the Sabbath of God, but the Sabbath of God today is not found in a literal keeping of days. It is found in Christ, because in Christ we rest from our works 
and we trust in Him and we have peace with God. Now think about that as we read this next quote. New Bible Commentary says the following. Instructions regarding the Sabbath, having listed the preparations necessary for the construction of the tabernacle and the construction of the priests, consecration of the priests, God then underlined the importance of the Sabbath. Now look, catch this. The concept of holiness, prominent in the preceding material, is also important in this section. As the sign of the covenant between God and Israel, the Sabbath was to remind the people that it was the Lord who made them holy because the Sabbath was holy to the Lord. All work was prohibited. Anyone who worked on the Sabbath desecrated it and must be put to death. By observing the Sabbath, the Israelites affirmed and maintained their special relationship with God to be His holy people. Today, our Sabbath is that we rest from our works and trust in His works. Read with me here, Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter, what? That rest. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Keep the scripture up. This is the Sabbath rest for God's people. It is a rest from my works so that I might do his works. It is a rest from my righteousness that I might experience his righteousness and then serve him. I want to serve him. As Jose said so well during worship today, we give up what? Our miserable lives to gain what? His glorious life. We give up lives that lead to death that we might receive his life that rose from the dead. What kind of exchange is that? It's all in our favor. But the Sabbath is the sign that we're God's people. Are you God's people? Do you know the Lord? I don't know all of you here this morning. If you do not, I beg you, rest from your own righteousness. Rest from the things that you're trusting in. And trust in Christ. It is that simple. He fulfills the rules of the covenant. And then when you do, you know what will mark your life? A life that is given to serve him and his church. You'll be modern day Bezalels. Filled, skilled to build God's church. And that really is the conclusion and application point of the message. We are justified and sanctified in Christ. We are justified and sanctified in Christ. God makes us holy by setting us apart for His use, so that we no longer live for ourselves, but for Him who died for us and was raised. 2 Corinthians 5. 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The young women who went to the purity ball were saying, My body isn't my own. It belongs to God. And God says, Keep it pure sexually until I get married. God, I'm making that covenant. 
And the dad saying, my daughter is not my own. My daughter belongs to you. And as your servant and her father, I will protect her and teach her and pray for her that she might obey you, God. And so God today says to us, will you live for me or will you live for yourself? I I was deeply affected in my quiet time this week. I was reading out of Mark and I came to the section in Mark chapter 15 recounting Christ's crucifixion. And and it came to the section where Pilate says, well, who should I release for you? And they say, Barabbas. Well, then what should I do with Christ, this Jesus, this Christ? And they said, crucify him. And it's like a hammer came down on me. Bam. And guys, I heard my voice scream, crucify him. I heard it. I don't know how. I wasn't there, obviously. But I was there spiritually. Crucify him. And then I just, just overwhelmed with God's mercy. And oh, thanking him. Oh Lord, I screamed, crucify him. You died for me. But then you rose from the dead for me. And now, Lord, I want to live for you. I just got on my face that morning. I, I, I put on, when I survey the song we sang, I put that on and I just got on my face. And that last verse just, Oh, Lord, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Lord, I want to live for you. Lord, I often don't live for you. Lord, every time I get angry with others, I'm living for me. Every time I, I get uh, uh, just impatient, I'm living for me. Oh, God, help me to live for you. Help me to love you. Love is patient. Help me to love others. Love is kind. Lord, whenever I'm unkind, I'm impatient. I'm living for me. Oh, yet again I hear my voice yell, crucify him. But yet again I hear you say, Father, forgive him. That's what, this, that's what the rules are. Just live for him, man. Because he died for you. And he welcomes you. And when you blow it, come back. Again and again. So how do we apply this on Wednesday night when you go to home group? Please go to home group and apply this. It's not enough to listen to it right now. Apply it at lunch today. Fathers, apply it around the dinner table, breakfast table, whenever you take your families through devotions. Three questions. Number one, how can you rest from your works and trust Christ alone in your situation? How can you rest from your works and trust Christ alone in your situation? Think about that one. Number two, what gift has God given you to build the church? What gift has God given you to build the church? Pray about it. Involve others in this question. Ask children, ask your parents. Parents, ask your children, ask your friends, ask others in your home group. And number three, how are you seeking to develop and employ that gift? I'd like you to bow your heads, please. I would like us to pray. Like the worship team to join me up front, please. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning to preach your word. Lord, I pray that this sermon would be more than just nice words or a cogent argument from Scripture, but it would be life changing for all of us. Lord God, that you sent your Son to die for me, therefore, I want to live for you. Oh God. Help us to do that. 
Lord, help us to do that. And I just feel led to pray right now. If you do not know the Lord, if you are resisting God, I just pray that you would even ask him to soften your heart and open your eyes. And quite frankly, I I saw young men earlier this morning. I don't know if that means God is speaking to some young men. And when I say young, let's just say from 12 and on up, from an age of understanding and accountability, whatever it is, 11, 12. But if he's speaking to you, friend, it's a holy moment right now. Don't make light of it. This is not a time to be thinking of other things. It's a time to be listening to God. Because he's kind. He is gentle. He is merciful. And his mercy comes to you in Christ. So if that's you, respond in your heart to him. If your parents are here, involve them in that later. Or perhaps even right now. If they're not, I'd be happy to talk with you. Jose Prado, who's our youth leader, would. Just sense the Lord would be speaking to some of the younger men in the church. Father, thank you for saving us, sanctifying us, setting us apart for your purpose. Lord, even as we sing this song afresh and anew, we want to give you our souls, Lord, our very lives, our all. Oh God, oh God, may we be your servants. May we serve the one who died for us. In Jesus' name. I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet, please. We're not done yet. We're going to sing to the Lord when I survey. Please do so in great faith and joy that he's drawn you to himself in Christ.